Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Thinking Theologically podcast, the show where we teach you how and why you should think theologically. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Dodgen, joined, as always, by Spencer Shaw. Spencer, how are you doing? Oh, resident theologian. And and yeah. master's work complete, yeah? Yeah, soon to be. Master resident theologian and training, I, I, Spencer I, Shaw. <laughs> can, can you, I, I don't know, can you call someone a master when they have a, how does that, you call it doctor if it doctor. I, if it makes you feel uh, any better anyway. i don't mean it at all it is purely so. <laughs> it is purely a title but it means nothing to me <laughs> well technically i mean technically i don't have my degree okay. yet i guess uh we're we haven't reached graduation but like you said i did last week i defended my comprehensive exam as well as my thesis, which is what we're kind of working toward mm. through, at least one of the chapters. Uh, we're talking about the Lord's Supper, so I did defend both of those successfully. So I am now, yeah, I'm now done with my master's work. So it's just waiting until graduation, I guess. Very good, very good. A nice, uh, a nice deserved break coming your way for a bit, uh, though. Yeah, though bit, you yeah. were, uh, before we started recording this, you're like, well, I, <laughs> I've i done this schoolwork, and I'm kind of out of it for a little bit, so I'll probably write a bunch of things <laughs> for the website. <laughs> you just can't stay away. I, I mean, no, I, well, and my schoolwork is writing. Like, that's, <laughs> I spent the last year writing. Like, I've been done with graduate level classes for a year now i've just been writing mm. stuff so like i don't when i got done it was one of those it was a weird feeling like i was excited but at the same time it's like it was like what do i do now you write more apparently that's I, that's what you're gonna do I, 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 I don't know what i do with <laughs> my life there is phd work in the future coming at some point i don't know who when where, how, I know the why. That's good. I don't know knowing the, the why the is probably the most important. <laughs> Very good. In the meantime, when you officially get to the the master status, then master resident theologian in training, I think sounds sounds good. Uh, speaking of your writing, though, um, two things really with that. Number one, uh, our continued series here on the Lord's Supper is part of what your your writing has been all about uh, this last year. Uh, I say part because I don't think we're going to cover every aspect of what you've written, or at least not uh, exactly the, not, not in exactly the write an article that on you've it. written, yeah. Um, though we may have some of that in the future. Uh, but the topic that we've been covering in these uh, last few lessons on the Lord's Supper, we've been all over the place. We've been talking about the Passover in the first episode, then eschatology in the second in connection with the Lord's Supper. Forgiveness and salvation was the last episode we did, and today uh, we're going to look at service above status and and greatness. Uh, so putting, uh, putting Spencer's writing uh, over the last year uh, really to work here on the podcast. But alongside all of that, uh, speaking of uh, potential writings for the website, you can find all those things at thinkingtheologically.org. Uh, if you're not 
checking out the website, then you have missed some of those articles. There are a few up, in fact, uh, this past week uh, in anticipating uh, celebration of uh, Easter, recognizing the resurrection and all of those things. We uploaded uh, four separate articles, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, and their discussion of the resurrection. Spencer wrote all of those, and we had those posted up to uh, Facebook, at Thinking Theologically. Uh, and so if you're not checking the website or uh, liking us on Facebook, then you missed all of that good stuff here. Uh, those articles are like the podcast. If you're a fan of the podcast, they're like the podcast, except actually short. You know, like <laughs> we, we yes. this, this amount of time that you've listened to this already would be enough time to read most of those articles or listen to those articles as we have audio versions of those things. So if you're not checking out thinkingtheologically.org or the Facebook page, Thinking Theologically, you're missing out. There's more stuff to come, so I encourage you to check those things out. Uh, I would also encourage you to message us at strongchurchministries at gmail.com for comments, questions, criticism, compliments. All those things are good. And if you're friends with Spencer and I personally on Facebook, uh, you can reach out to us there uh, or whatever social media you use. Spencer's there. You can reach out to him uh, and he'll get back to you, I imagine, now with all of his free time. So uh, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, I got nothing better to do. <laughs> Just going to be scrolling Twitter all day long and playing golf. That's that's your life. I am golfing there you tomorrow. Go. Well, I guess it's today when this mm. episode comes out. I'll be on the when, about the time this episode comes out. I'll be on the golf course. We're we're taking a tenth anniversary trip, my wife and I, and she found a disc golf course uh, where we're going. So there you go. That may be in the the cards for us uh, while we're there. there so go. good stuff. Good golf all around. Okay, uh, this is our fourth episode of the Lord's Supper. Uh, really, uh, we we've kind of, as I said, just kind of been all over the place, not in a scattered sort of way, but. Uh, really looking at the Lord's Supper in a very broad scope, uh, have been everywhere with the Passover, with uh, the eschaton, which I think will make a bit of a discussion appearance today, uh, as well as forgiveness and salvation at the table uh, throughout Luke's gospel. Uh, and now today we're going to look at the idea of status and, and service and all of that being focused in Luke's gospel uh, around the table and the Lord's Supper. Uh, so if you have a Bible listening along with us here, Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to be for the most part. That is our base section today. Uh, Spencer, what do you want to start out with uh, telling uh, the audience here about uh, this discussion about being great? Because this shows up in all the synoptics, right? Yeah, and it, but it, it shows up somewhere different in Luke's gospel. Uh, so one of the things that we've been talking about in, in each of these topics that we've been talking about regarding the Lord's Supper, these theological lenses, if you will, that we're using to view and to think about the Lord's Supper, they've all in some way had to do with something that's unique in Luke's gospel. And that was kind of the point of, of my thesis. I was highlighting a Lukean theology of the Lord's Supper. What, what does Luke yeah. do with this? What is Luke trying to say? What does Luke believe about the Lord's Supper? And the way that you can tell that is, well, what does Luke do differently? He's telling the same story as Matthew and Mark. Sure. But 
when you begin to notice the things that Luke does differently, you can begin to highlight the way that Luke thinks about the Lord's Supper and what he's trying to do with it and what he wants his readers to take from it. So we talked about the Passover, which Luke draws out more. It's there, but Luke draws it out more than the other Gospels do. We talk about the eschatological banquet, which is there again in all of them. But I think Luke, I argued he's taken us back to the story of the parable of the great banquet in Luke 14, which is only found in Luke. So in Luke's gospel, Luke describes in more detail what that eschatological banquet is going to look at, look, look like. Specifically, in the last episode, we talked about some specific phrases that only Luke and Paul use. The idea of the body and the bread, the cup, Jesus' blood being given, being poured out for you. That phrase for you is unique to Luke and to Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. Mm -hmm. Luke's mention of the new covenant is unique to Luke and to Paul as well. So the way that Luke highlights the salvific giving for you and the institution of the new covenant through what Jesus is doing, Luke highlights that more, again, than Matthew and Mark do. I think I would argue that because of this and, and what we're talking about in this episode, I think you could say maybe that Luke's account is the most theological account of the Lord's Supper, perhaps. Okay, sure. Um, I, I think particularly Mark, and you could argue some of what Matthew is doing, maybe not all, but they, it seems to me, are concerned maybe a little more with that. We talked about it, the Lord's Supper becoming a liturgical practice, maybe more in talking about it as a church tradition. Maybe that focus might come yeah. out a little more in Matthew and Mark. Uh, Luke, I think, is doing is doing that, but he's theologizing it because I think that he's addressing some issues that have started to creep into the early church as they relate to the Lord's Supper. So he's wanting to think about it a little bit differently. But one of the unique things that Jesus, that Luke does is right after the Lord's Supper, he tells a story about an argument among the disciples as to which of them is going to be the greatest. And if you are familiar with the gospel, you, you know that Luke isn't the only one to talk about this. Like you said, in Matthew and Mark, we have the disciples arguing about which of them is going yeah. to be the greatest. But only in Luke's gospel does the, such an argument happen at the Last Supper. So... They begin celebrating Passover together. Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, and then it's at the table. They're still sitting there right after the Lord's Supper, and the disciples start arguing about who is the greatest. And I don't know about anyone else, but the first time I learned that, and still to this day, I think, what what a terrible place to do that. Like, if you had to <laughs> yeah. pick the worst place to argue about who is the greatest— it's at the Last Supper. Like that is the that is the worst possible moment to be having this argument. But yet Luke has the disciples doing that. Hmm. So I want to read that. I, I think that's a good place for us to start. So Luke chapter twenty two, beginning in verse twenty four, it says that a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. But Jesus said to them. 
The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you, just as my Father has conferred on me, a kingdom, so that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom. There's another reference to the eschatological banquet. And you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So, right after the supper, they're still sitting at the table, they begin to argue about which one of them is going to be the greatest. And I think Luke, especially with that reference at the end about how the apostles, this is something else that's interesting. If you go back up to verse 14 of chapter Mm -hmm. 22, Jesus is, Luke tells us that Jesus took his place with the apostles, which is, you don't see the word apostles in the gospel very often. It's generally the disciples. Okay. Those following after Jesus. Luke specifically mentions the apostles. So it's Jesus and the twelve. I personally don't think that they're the only ones that are present, but that's the anyone else that may or may not be present is unimportant for Luke's purposes. He wants us to know sure. it's Jesus and it's the twelve. And so it's among the twelve that are arguing about which is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And at the end, Jesus reminds them that God has given him a kingdom and that eventually they're all going to eat together at the kingdom. If you remember from previous episodes, we mm-hmm. talked about how Jesus says he's not going to eat this meal again until he eats it in the kingdom. So the reference again to the eschatological banquet, the banquet yeah. in the kingdom, and that at that time the twelve are going to be sitting on thrones and judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So Jesus is saying that the twelve are going to have a special leadership role. That, that's in the early church as well, but he also pushes that to the eschaton, to the new creation. There's going to be this leadership role, and so he wants to describe it. This is how you lead. They're arguing about which is the greatest, and Jesus is in essence saying that's the wrong kind of leadership for the kingdom. But the point that I want to make, as you can see, that's kingdom talk. They want to know who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus says, that's not how you lead in the kingdom. And he says, but you will be leaders in the kingdom. So it's all kingdom talk. And I think that connects us back to the theme of the eschatological banquet in the Lord's Supper. So the, the Lord's Supper is the fulfillment of Passover, which will all kind of be fulfilled in the eschaton as we talked about when we talked about the eschatological banquet. And so that theme of the Lord's Supper being an image of the eschaton and that the way that we take the supper now is meant to look like the meal in the eschaton because we're already living in the eschaton, in essence. right? That, that now but not yet. We're already there. It's not fully come, but we're already there, so we're to live as if we are there. That theme now continues to talk about greatness and to talk about leadership and to talk about authority in the kingdom, in the eschaton. So this theme continues from the discussion of the Lord's Supper into this discussion of greatness. I think that's why Luke has it here. And 
for the apostles to argue amongst themselves about which is the greatest directly contradicts the service attitude of Jesus in the Lord's Supper directly prior. Uh, Jesus talks about giving of his body and pouring out of his blood for you. Jesus in the Lord's Supper is talking about his attitude of service. He's serving not just the apostles, he's serving the world by giving up of his body and pouring out his blood for you, for us. And the apostles contradict that attitude of service by then wanting to know, well, who's going to be greatest in this kingdom? And so Jesus uses that moment to teach them about the nature of the kingdom. And the interesting thing is is that Luke redefines, uh, or Jesus redefines greatness with a reference to the table. So after they argue about who is the greatest, this is one of the things that Jesus says in verse 27. He says, For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So Jesus defines greatness by asking this question. Who is greater, the one who is at the table, that is the one who is sitting at the table, the one who is eating at the table, or the one who serves, that is the servant that is bringing the food to the table. So in this imagery of a table, who is the greatest? Now what's interesting is that word for serves is the Greek word diakoneo, which is the verb form of of the word diakonos, from which we get our word (laughs) deacon. And the idea of a deacon or a uh, the diakoneo is a participle, and a participle is a verbal noun. So it's a verb, serves or serving, but it can work like a noun, so it means, as here, one who serves or one who is serving. Okay. So it functions like that noun and like the verb. And what it means is it's talking about one who serves at a table. So Jesus is, like I said, he's using that table imagery. He's asking who is the greatest, the one who is eating at the table or the deacon who is serving at the table. And... We see that use actually in Acts chapter 6. There's this dispute about the some of the, the Hellenized mm-hmm. widows who aren't receiving their portion, their food that they deserve. And so the apostles appoint deacons to serve them, in essence, to serve their tables. So you see that connection between a deacon is one who serves at the table. And that's the imagery that Jesus is is using there. And so who who is the greatest? And he says, is it not the one at the table? Right? And that makes sense. The one at the table eating is always going to be greater than the slave who's bringing the food, who's serving at the table. That's always the case. That makes sense. But then Jesus says, but I am among you as one who serves. So he flips the idea of greatness. Mm, mm-hmm. Greatness, He says the greatest one is not actually the one who's sitting at the table. 
but it's the one who's serving the table. And the reason, Jesus says, is because I, because Jesus is among them as one who serves. And what's very interesting about that is we've talked about this before. Luke, in writing his gospel, is using the gospel of Mark to help him tell his story, to help him write his gospel. And Luke excludes Mark's reference of Jesus' explanation of his service as giving his life as a ransom for many. So in Luke 10.45, we have a similar dispute about greatness. And Jesus tells his disciples there as well that he is among them as one who serves And he says that he serves them by giving his life as a ransom for many. So in Mark, it's we know for sure how Jesus serves. What kind of servant is Jesus? He is one who dies on behalf of others, specifically on behalf of the entire world. Luke doesn't say that. Luke has that because he has Mark, but he chooses not to include it, which is interesting because it would fit, right? Because we just had the Lord's Supper about Jesus dying and pouring out his blood. It would fit very well there, but Luke Hmm. excludes it. Luke doesn't say it. And I think the reason is because Luke wants his readers to understand Jesus' service as more inclusive than merely the giving up of his life. So Jesus' passion, his death, as celebrated in the Lord's Supper, I think is undoubtedly the most explicit image of Jesus' service. So Jesus is asking this question about tables. Who's the greatest at the table? And he says he's among them like one who serves at the table. And so I think the most explicit reference is back to the Lord's Supper, where Jesus speaks of giving of his body and pouring out of his blood, that that is an act of service. How does Jesus, because Jesus is saying the greatest are the one who serves because I'm among you as one who serves. Therefore, like the logical conclusion is we are to be servants like Jesus was a servant. So how was Jesus a servant? Well, most explicit thing, the Lord's Supper directly prior that leads to this discussion. Jesus gives his life for others. He gives his blood. uh, He gives his body. He pours out his blood for you for the sake of others. However, Luke has presented Jesus as a servant throughout the gospel. Jesus isn't just a servant at the Last Supper, but he's a servant throughout the gospel. Jesus served not only in his death, but he also served in his life, which was a ministry of service to the outcast, to the poor, to the blind, and to the diseased, specifically at tables. In Luke's gospel, Jesus does a lot of his ministry, a lot of his service, at a table, which is why I think Jesus, Luke has Jesus here using table imagery to talk about service. He says, who's greatest at the table? Well, the one who serves a table. And Jesus is saying, I am among you as one who serves at a table. Well, how does Jesus serve at a table? Well, you've got the Lord's Supper. That's obviously being referred to here. But when you go back and you read through the gospel, you see Jesus serving at a bunch of different tables. And so throughout Luke's gospel, what Luke has done is he has shown us the kind of servant that Jesus is around a table. 
so that when we read this and Jesus is saying greatness is serving at a table like me, we as the readers know what that looks like because we've read the first 21 chapters. Yeah. We've seen Jesus serve at the table and we know what that looks like. And we'll talk about more about that here in a minute. Um, one of the, one of the things I thought was interesting is in Jesus's conversation there using the table Who's greater, the one that reclines or the one who serves? And then he answers, it's the one who reclines, but here I am serving. Uh, But he's also reclining, according to verse 14. And so it's like very, it's like answering their question directly with service, but also letting them know, if you want to sit at the table, you have to serve at the table. Um, And it's not an either or thing like the kingdom is going to be made up of people that are from all of these as i mean all these backgrounds that we see at the table throughout luke's gospel um and there's no there's no hierarchy there it's everybody is serving and everybody is sitting uh, there at the table did we did we discuss uh well can you discuss is what i should ask a little bit of uh, if you have information on this, what kind of like were were there kind of hierarchy positions that existed at tables typically? Because uh, I'm thinking about like you know even the dogs get the crumbs conversation of the the woman with with Jesus um, or the uh, in James the you know come sit at the head of the table sort of idea. Uh, do you have any information on that? Yeah. Something you could share with this? Because um, this might sound weird to yes. us of, okay, they're sitting and eating, but why Why do we have a discussion about serving and greatness and all of this? It's just a table. Yeah. Uh, so the, the table, and I think this is one of the things that Luke is doing by having Jesus' ministry take place at a table. Uh, because a table was a place of first it was it was a place of exclusion and exclusion who's going to be included at the table okay. and who is not so on on one level on one level take like that who's who's invited and who is not invited we're going to talk about this more in a minute but think if if, if you want an image of this go read Luke 14 1 through 24. And you see all of this play out. So in the parable mm-hmm. of the great mm-hmm. banquet there, which is the tail end of that story, the master of the house begins by doing what the Pharisee, Pharisaic host of Jesus, Jesus is at the home of a Pharisee, the host in the parable is doing at the beginning the same thing that the Pharisee hosting Jesus is doing. He's inviting his friends and his family members and the people who can repay him. Those are the ones that are included. So you included those who are on the same honor level as you, that is the same level of society that you're on. Or you might eat a meal with someone who can enhance you. They can bring you up to the next level in society. But you didn't eat with anybody lower than you. They were excluded. And when you are invited to someone's table, you are expected to be able to repay. So that's what Jesus is saying in Luke 14. 
that his host is doing. And that's what the host in the parable, that's how he begins, is just like the Pharisee. So the people below them, in the case of Luke 14, the example that Jesus gives is the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. They're below. They can't repay because they're poor. They can't help your status in society. So they're mm-hmm. excluded from the table. And those that can maintain or enhance your status in society, those are the ones that are invited to your table. Now, the seating arrangement, once you are included, then the seating arrangement is also representative of a hierarchy. Okay. So you had the seat of the host, which is at the head of the table. And the closer you are to the host, the higher status you have. The further you get away from the host, the less status that you have. And so that's the way. The, your, your status at the table was determined by how close you are to the host. So you think of, it's similar to when in some of the other Gospels, we have the discussion of who's going to sit at Jesus' right and left hand in the kingdom. Yeah, yeah. And that's imagery of a king sitting on a right. throne, right? And having people at his right and left side. But the same thing, the same image works at a table, depending on how the table's set up, which tables could be set up sure. in multiple ways. But it, it, it would be the same thing for someone sitting at a table. You would have whoever's at the right and left hand of the host. Those are the greatest two positions. And so at the beginning of Luke 14, it's interesting. Jesus, when he sits down at the table, he first turns to the other attendees because Luke says Jesus notices how they chose the places of honor. They wanted Mm. the best seats. And Jesus says, no, uh, actually, why don't you choose the lower seats and let the host elevate you to the higher Mm. seat? And then he turns to the host and he's like, you're doing the same thing, just in a different way. You are excluding those who can't repay you. But you should be inviting the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And then Jesus tells the parable of the great banquet, which we talked about is an image of the eschatological banquet. So the banquet that Jesus, that God is going to host in the eschaton. And he says, the and the, the host, who is God, begins, like I said, like the Pharisee. And I think Jesus is making the point. Yeah, he begins to invite them. They turn him down. And then he goes into the streets and the lanes and the roads. And he invites the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And so those who are typically excluded are included. But you also get the idea that this hierarchy around the table, so like where you sit, is also uh, not important. Okay. And so... Like I said, I, th- I think that's why Luke emphasizes Jesus' ministry at a table because Luke is emphasizing the inclusivity of Jesus' ministry. And a table makes sense because a table is all about inclusion versus exclusion and status and greatness. From everyone who's invited to where you sit at the table is all about inclusion and exclusion. So it makes sense for this discussion to happen around a table and for Jesus ministry in the way that Luke wants to present it to happen around a table. Um, because you can even think, think about this. There's Jesus tells stories about a table a lot. So not the time for a debate about whether the story of the rich man and Lazarus is a true story or a parable. 
not the point. Uh, if I accidentally call it a parable, I'm tipping my hat in that direction. <laughs> but that's a discussion. That's a discussion sure. for another day. But uh, in that story or in that parable, think about how it begins. You have a rich man and you have a poor man, Lazarus, who desires to just eat the scraps from the rich man's table. And then they die. The rich man is tormented. The poor man, Lazarus, is at Abraham's bosom. That's table language. Yeah, yeah. Because the way you would recline at a table is you would lie on your left arm. And so if you're lying on your side, your head would be at the bosom or at the breast of the person sitting next to you. So that's actually eschatological banquet imagery of... Lazarus didn't get to eat at tables here on earth, but he gets to sit at the table right next to Abraham. Like, that's a place of honor at the table. It's not just, he's on the other side right. of the table. But his, he's sitting right next yeah. to Abraham. His head is at Abraham's bosom. That, that's the imagery that Jesus is using there. And that's another story that's only found in Luke's mm -hmm. gospel. But in this life, you have this imagery of being above the table and being below the table which is kind of this imagery of the one who's at the table and the one who serves the table. Okay, yeah. You have the rich man who is above the table, and you have Lazarus who is below the table. And how is... And I think Luke is partially asking, where do we find ourselves? Do we find ourselves sitting at the table or serving? Do we find ourselves above the table or below the table? And how do we use mm. that position? Uh, so that because the table is where those things naturally is a natural place where you see inclusion and exclusion and greatness and honor and status, that becomes the place where Jesus subverts all that. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I actually thought about Luke 16 shortly after I read or I, I asked the question I was like, oh, wait a minute. I think that's table talk and rich man and all that. Um, yeah, yeah. So Luke 16 is another good example, particularly in, well, exclusively in Luke's gospel of, uh, of that kind of, uh, hierarchy at the table and, and all of that, uh, real quick before we move into, cause we've already moved into it a little bit with the great banquet. Um, but, uh, how likely was it that they all sat on one side of the table, like in, uh, like in the famous painting of the last supper? Which I have right to my left right now, <laughs> hanging up in my office. And to the right, I actually have two um, marble replicas of the painting from the Vatican. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, a, a little humble brag there about what I got going on in my <laughs> in my office. Uh, well, they're not even reclining, right. first off. They're right. sitting, which isn't even accurate. Uh, yeah, no, that's interesting because it seems that Jews adopted a Greek way of sitting at mm. a table. And I'm not, I don't have a ton of knowledge about the specific ways that they might have been sitting. Um, because it's not really that important for interpretation. Sure. Like, what did the room look like? But... Doesn't John's Gospel give... I? the disciple whom Jesus loved reclining towards Jesus or something like that. But yeah, that's really it. Yeah. And it, it, you, 
I've done a little reading on it, and I've seen some illustrations, and I know for a fact there's multiple ways that, like, banquet rooms or banquet halls, sure. whatever you want to call them. There, I know that there's more than one way that they can look. I know that sometimes you're all... I mean, sometimes there's not even, like, a table. It's, like, almost, I think, it's, like, you almost have your own, like, dinner tray, and you're sitting, a room, mm. like, on couches, in essence, would go around the edge of a room. Um, I know that's a possibility. I know, I know. There's even the possibility. I think that a there could be multiple rooms, like not every. And so the placement of what room you're in would also determine status. Okay, like you would, yeah. Because you think about big banquets, you couldn't fit everyone in sure. one room. So I think there's even evidence for it's almost like overflow rooms. But that would also determine, like you wanted to be in the room with the host. That's where yeah, the, best, yeah. the best people were. We're in that room and maybe even overflowing to to other rooms. Uh, but I, as far as I know, there's no likelihood that it looks anything like the painting. Fair enough. Uh, sure does look good, though. Uh, I mean, it's a, like I said. We, I ha- we have one in our I've office. Got, <laughs> I've got one from Hobby Lobbies on the, on the wall. When you walk into <laughs> right the offices to here to go meet with the secretary, it's sitting right there where you'd be sitting. It's like the the focal point that you would see. Okay. It, well, it's it's sad that on one wall I've got one from Hobby Lobby, and then I've got on the <laughs> other side of the room I've got ones from the Vatican. So it very, very two very different extremes of where you can get one is Catholic to and one is uh, Christian. So perfect. It's <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we've already touched on this a little bit with one of with a, a parable of the great banquet here, but um, it's actually the last of the three sections that you have under this. Uh, that there's a theme of service that runs through Luke's gospel. Uh, so how do you, how do you want to lay that out for us of the, the service that we see throughout uh, Luke's gospel? Yeah. So uh, we've talked about Luke 14. And the parable of the great banquet. Mm-hmm. I'll mention one more thing about that when we get to Luke okay. 14. But like I said, throughout Jesus' ministry in Luke's gospel, a lot of that ministry takes place at the table. And when Jesus is at the table, a lot of the times he's redefining what service looks like. Just like at the Last Supper, when he's at uh, that table, he's doing the same thing. He is still redefining what service looks like in the context of the table. And like I said, if Luke's point is that we need to be service servants like Jesus served, specifically how Jesus served at the table, because that's the kind of servant Jesus calls himself. And that's important because mm-hmm. there's multiple words for servant, and he uses the one for a table servant. Sure. Luke wants us to go back. And look at how Jesus served at, at, at a table. So a couple of specific stories come to my mind. And two of these I don't think we've talked about in the other episodes. Uh, I know we've talked about Luke 14 before, and we've already talked about it here. But if you go back to Luke 10, 38 through 42, you have the story of Mary and mm-hmm. Martha. Jesus is at table with these two women. There's a lot that could be said about that story. But if, if you remember the the way that the story goes, you have Mary who is sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him talk, 
And you have Martha that is kind of distracted by other things. And Martha gets upset that her sister's not helping her and kind of comes and pleads her case to Jesus. And the tasks that Martha is engaged in are, it, this is the inference of the story, they're hospitality tasks. Jesus is a guest in her house. And so according to the rules of hospitality, you had certain things that you should have should do to take care of your guests. Otherwise, you're being rude. You're being inhospitable. And so the important thing about this story is that what Martha is distracted with are not bad things. Hospitality is important. In Luke's gospel, hospitality is important. Like Luke doesn't think that hospitality is bad. Uh, the issue is priorities. And so I think the point of that story is that service must be done in the context of the priorities of Jesus and the kingdom. So service and mm -hmm. hospitality is important. It's the way of the kingdom. It's the way of Jesus to serve. But we define and we understand our service in the context of who Jesus is, of what the kingdom is, and the way that Jesus serves as a part of the kingdom. That defines how we serve, when we serve, and what we do as the part of our service. And I think that's the point that Jesus is making and that Luke is making in telling this story, which is, again, unique to Luke's gospel. The story is a Lucan thing. And I, the, it, it, it's kind of like the same premise of when Jesus talks to the Pharisees and he says that you—we're we're, going to go to this— uh, you know, you tithe all these yeah. things, but you neglect the weightier matters. He's not saying don't tithe them. Right. He's saying reorganize your priorities. And Jesus is defining priorities in the way of the kingdom. And he's doing the same with Martha. He's saying, yeah, what you're doing is good, but you got to reprioritize. Mm -hmm. You've got to understand your service in the context of the kingdom, uh, in the context of Jesus. And so that actually moves us perfectly into Luke chapter 11 because Jesus talks about tithing, all those things there. But in Luke chapter 11, he's, again, dining with Pharisees and lawyers. And Jesus gives three woes to the Pharisees and he gives three woes to the lawyers. And one of the woes that Jesus gives to the Pharisees is that they desire the places of honor and respect in the synagogue and the marketplace. They, they want, if you think about the table or Luke 14, they want the best seats mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at the table. They want the best seats in the synagogue. They want the best places in the marketplace. They want to be honored and respected. And the point that Jesus makes is that they desire those things while they neglect the love and the justice of God. Here's the interesting thing that I find about the mention of love and justice. Luke presents Jesus as a prophet. I think that's the key image in Luke of is Jesus as prophet. So on Sunday mornings here at Lumberton, we I've been talking about Jesus as Messiah. We've looked at Messiah language in the Old Testament, and then we've been working through the Gospels, looking at how Mark and then how Matthew, and now we're talking about how Luke presents Jesus as the Messiah. So in Mark, 
Jesus is the suffering Messiah. In Luke, he's the Jewish Messiah. I mean, in, in Matthew, he's the Jewish Messiah. In Luke, he's the prophetic Messiah. He's prophet. Hmm. You see the theme of prophet actually work through the, the gospel. When you go and you read the prophets in the Old Testament, one of the big things that they get Israel for is lacking love and justice, abusing the poor and the widow and the orphan. Very similar to some of the stuff that Jesus does in Luke's gospel. He's very focused about the poor and the widow and the orphan. He's very focused about love and justice and inclusion. So you can actually see the connection between the prophetic ministry of Jesus and the uh, prophetic ministry of the prophets of the Old Testament. And so the, the, the point that Jesus is, is doing is that, you know, instead of worrying about your places of honor and respect, instead of tithing everything that you own, show love and justice. So again, that has to do, it has to do with how you treat other people. He's like, instead of bringing these things on yourself, serve others. It's the same point of Luke 14 and the parable of the great banquet. He's like, don't invite those who can repay you. You're doing it for yourself. Invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, those who are probably hungry and could use the food, and those are the people who can't repay you. You're not getting anything out of it. Rather than desiring the honor and respect, desire the mm. love and the justice, and the, which is in the context of serving other people. And that idea of those who can repay, so ending with the, this idea of the the parable of the, the great banquet. Uh, th that desire to repay actually connects to Jesus' mention of benefactors at the Last Supper. So there in Luke 22, when Jesus is talking about service and about greatness, he says that the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. So... What a benefactor would do is a benefactor is someone who is wealthy and they will give money to people, to leaders, to the city, maybe to rebuild part of the city so that they get honor in return. Like they didn't just give money to give money. They gave money to get something in return to be repaid in some way. I'm going to pay you, but as a result, I'm going to it's going to enhance my status in society. And Jesus in Luke 22 says that's the way other mm. people do it. And in Luke 14 at the parable of the great banquet, uh, he's saying that's how the Pharisees doing it. In other words, that's the way the world works. But Jesus says in both of those cases, he says that's not the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is those who serve, and specifically, it's those who serve others. So you kind of bring all that together, and what's the point? It's like, well, we define our identity based upon the kingdom. And the kingdom isn't concerned about honor or status or seating arrangements. The kingdom cares about once servants. And so when we reprioritize our life in the context of the kingdom, we become people who serves, and our service is defined by the kingdom. That's the point of the story of Mary and Martha. But our servants is to others. Luke 11, Luke 14, it's love and justice. 
It's caring for the poor, the crippled, the blind, mm. and the lame. It is inviting those who cannot repay us. That's the kind of service that Jesus consistently teaches people at the table. And at the Last Supper, that's the service that Jesus calls for, is that service to others. It's that prophetic kind of service that we see in the prophets of the Old Testament. So I'll end my thoughts here with this statement, that the Lord's Supper, despite the disciples' misunderstanding here, which is obvious with their argument about who is the greatest, the Lord's Supper, despite the disciples' misunderstanding, is meant to reflect the service attitude of the kingdom by displaying the service attitude of Jesus in the breaking of bread and pouring out of wine. It is to recall the way the kingdom reprioritizes life around service in the context of the kingdom. Service and humility, especially to the outcast and needy, is the way of the kingdom because it is the way of Jesus and it will be the way of the eschaton. Therefore, Jesus' disciples are to model the service orientation of Jesus in their lives, specifically as they exercise leadership in the kingdom. And so when we take of the Lord's Supper and we are reminded of Jesus, we are reminded of Jesus' service, we are reminded of the kingdom, and we are reminded of the service orientation of the kingdom that connects back to themes that we've already talked about. And that then convicts us of our own service in the service of Jesus and service in the context of the kingdom. I can't, can't help but think of this uh, and, and a couple statements alongside it. One of them said by a preacher. One of them said by uh, Paul in his, his uh, opening chapter of, of Ephesians. Uh, the preacher saying, as now, so then, uh, as part of his lesson, a phrase that I've held with me for a long time. Uh, and then the second that goes along with it, Paul's w- phrase of uh, uniting things in heaven and on earth. And I can't help but think about, uh, especially in connection with uh, the eschatological banquet that we've been discussing before, as well as throughout all of this uh, and uh, service and the the table now versus the table then, uh, and what all of that looks like. Uh, this this lesson, uh, I hope, uh, being a good reminder for us of, you know, we can we can long for things then uh, as as much as we want. Um, but to quote another preacher, uh, some people are so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. Uh, we can be focused on the stuff that happens then and won't it be great there and all of this stuff and completely miss the the point of we're bringing the kingdom now. Uh, we are servants now. Those things there and here are being united through Jesus Christ, and that includes what you ended with there. Of That includes when we sit down at the table uh, together. Um, we are... Yes, sitting, reclining at the table, but also serving uh, at the table and being reminded of Jesus' service at the table to go out and be servants uh, of other people uh, for the kingdom of God now uh, as we anticipate our time at the table with God then. Uh, So 
if you're listening at home, uh, this is another one of those examples of uh, theology, Bible study, whatever you want to call it. Uh, those things are never just for, oh, cool, I learned some more things. And those, those are my favorite lessons. Uh, learn something I did not know. Uh, there's greater depth to maybe something I did know, but I didn't understand these parts of it. Uh, but that's never what this is all about. Uh, we walk away from these Bible teachings with uh, maybe renewed vigor, maybe for the first time having an actual like uh, purpose uh, behind the things that we are doing uh, to go out and live our lives for him and the table that we gather around every week serves, or at least should serve uh, as a reminder of all of that. So Spencer, anything else to add? Right on. Okay. Uh, We have more Lord's Supper conversation uh, coming along. Uh, I won't tease what it is, but Spencer and I talked a little bit about at least an upcoming episode. Uh, That'll be pretty interesting of a discussion, I think. So uh, be watchful for all of that. Uh, I'm not sure. We may have a delay in the next episode because Spencer will be... Spencer and I will both be traveling in some sort uh, or fashion, him being done with school, me on a 10th anniversary trip. So uh, we'll be excited for those travels, but uh, anticipating whenever we get to come back together and and, uh, make another episode and share that with all of you. So uh, be checking out thinkingtheologically.org. Uh, Make sure that you like us on Facebook at Thinking Theologically, and please send us comments, criticisms, questions, topics that you would like to have uh, discussed maybe on future episodes, uh, and compliments as well if you're just feeling uh, nice and wanting to send those things. You can send all of that at strongchurchministries at gmail.com or on our Facebook page or our personal Facebooks or anywhere that you do social media things if you just want to talk to Spencer. Uh, I'm Jack. That's Spencer. See you next time.